Ayurvedic healing was introduced to me during my 200-hour teacher training for yoga a number of years ago. Uh, it is a beautiful uh, way to look at the body, uh, to understand what's going on with the body, if it's deficient in one way or excessive in one way, and how to bring uh, the body back into balance. So today we're going to talk with Suzanne Silvermoon, who's been practicing Ayurveda in yoga for over 40 years and has a really good working understanding of these practices. Uh, she's going to talk to us about how it's helped her life, how she helps people with this practice, uh, as well as going into some of the understandings of what the practice is, uh, talking about the doshas, which are ways that in Ayurvedic medicine we categorize uh, people into understanding how we can best help them. Um, so lots of great content today in this conversation. Uh, there'll be a lot of links in the show notes for um, places to go to look for more content. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today, sitting across from me is a woman that I've met uh, many times, but this is the first time we've actually had the opportunity to sit and conversate. Um, I do remember one time, actually, now that I think about it, the not the first time we met, but the most one of the more recent times we reintroduced each other. Um, we you had asked me about hot yoga. Yes. And because I'm, I'm a yoga instructor, mainly towards hot yoga, but I do teach all the different asana practices. And, uh, and I remember we, uh, I think I owe you a conversation about hot <laughs> yoga versus non-hot yoga. <laughs> I'm glad you remember that. I do. You know, it's funny. I just, as soon as I hit record, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> we, uh, we, uh. But, uh, but today we might tap dance around that subject, but today, uh, the reason why I have you here is to talk to you about Ayurveda. And uh, so you yourself has been, have been practicing Ayurvedic medicine um, and yoga for close to 40 years, if not more. Yes. And through that have established just a beautiful practice for yourself, for the people that you help, um, for the community. And I think that's one of the biggest things for us, you know, is that, you know, we individual healing is beautiful, but when we can heal on a group setting or bring people in from a community and, and, and have healing support. Is such a beautiful practice. Um, so first off, just thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, it's I'm my pleasure. Really excited to dive into your knowledge about Ayurveda. Um, Ayurveda um, is is one of those things that um, that I got a, a a taste of in my yoga teacher training. Right. Um, I think they call it the sister science of yoga. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it was something that as soon as as soon as I started to learn about it, it made sense. Um, shame on me for not pursuing it in a, into a deeper level to where it makes more sense to me. Um, but the, the surface level that I was exposed to was, was very eye opening and, and did again, make a lot of sense. So, um, it's been something I've kind of tiptoed around and, and moved in and out of, but having an opportunity to sit down with you, somebody that's been practicing this for a very long time and very, very, um, uh, well educated in this, um, just really, really thankful. Um, so with you, how did, uh, how did Ayurveda kind of step into your life? There's so much that I want to respond to from what you just said in your introduction. Bring it on. <laughs> let's, let's open it up. Uh, you know, there's a saying that the Vedic teachings, we don't find them, they find us. Mm. And, uh, so it's just so interesting that you, that you said, how there was such resonance, you know, when you first uh, learned a little bit about Ayurveda and your teacher training, because it is part of what uh, the Yoga Alliance suggests as part of, you know, most 200-hour yoga teacher trainings is a little introduction to Ayurveda. Yeah. 
So I'm just so glad to hear that because I know there's so many traditions out there, so many different teacher trainings out there, and I never know, you right. know, yeah. is it really being introduced and to what degree is it being introduced? Um, and, and I think that because the Vedic teachings are so old that there's a kind of resonance, mm. you know, of, of deep vibrational resonance in our consciousness that, yeah, gosh, this really does make sense. This is... This is truth. You know, it has that kind of like ping on the crystal glass. Mm -hmm. oh, yep. you know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're speaking truth right now. Because it is, you know, it's the, the rishis that gave these teachings to us all these thousands of years ago. And it was out of, you know, whether or not it was just out of contemplation and meditation and deep observance of nature or, you know, some people speculate that this information came from outer space, you right. know, I mean, yeah. we don't really know. I mean, it's thousands of years ago, mm -hmm. but, um, there is this, uh, I think that the resonance comes from this deep observance of nature and the qualities that we see in nature that mm. are made up of those five basic elements of life, right. you know, earth, water, fire, air, and space. And it's, it's in the universe and it's in us. And so there is this like ping, you know, ping of yeah. truth uh, about that. So yeah, it's really fun to hear you say that, mm. that you're like, Oh yeah. yeah and I, it, you know, there, there I are certain this. things like, like you were saying that, you know, that, things that are so old, that are so with us, um, that have, uh, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, um, but are on a cellular level, right? Yeah. Our cells absorb all that information from the past, mm -hmm. right? The water that's been used throughout this world, right? It was in a lake at one point in time. It was in a, a whale's belly at one point in time. Now it's part of my left knee, right? right? You know, like there is yeah. DNA, there is understandings in those yeah. cells and those beings that that transferred from what that thing used to be. Mm -hmm. And so things that are that ancient, that old, the Vedic teachings, stuff like that, sometimes they resonate with us when we don't even know why. Right. It's like that gnosis, you know, that gnosis, that intrinsic knowledge that's just gifted to us that we don't understand, we can't explain. And then once we realize it, we don't even want to explain it. We just know we know it. I that's just, right. yeah, that's, I feel like that's resonance. That's harmony. Mm. You know, that's being in the flow and connected. Yeah. Interconnected, interwoven in the tapestry of all this creation that's here on planet earth. Right. And, uh, it was so fun when I finally came to my yoga teacher training, which was more than 20 years into practicing. Okay. Uh, and as the information was being delivered to me in my training, it was like, you know, this, aha moment that I was having because my original teacher, of course, was teaching yoga. He didn't call Ayurveda Ayurveda, okay. but he was teaching us Ayurveda by giving us advice about diet and certain herbs that might be helpful. If he was noticing, you know, something that was going on with us or we had a question, he would be like, oh, well, maybe you could try this herb to help balance. But he never, he never called it Ayurveda. Okay. And so... You know, I can say that my original training dates back to the early 1980s. Okay. And my early introduction wow. to this. That's so it's been a while. That's beautiful. It's been a while. When you found Ayurveda, did it just, did it click with you? Absolutely. Feel like walking home? Just like what you were saying. Yeah. You know, like there's, this information is truth. Mm. And one of the things that I love so much about it is, 
on, on the surface level, it's quite simple. You know, what we're looking to do is to establish balance mm. in all of these different ways. And the more that you can um, steep yourself in the knowledge and the wisdom of what your basic constitution is, the more you begin to understand the qualities of your doshas, and we'll go into some details about the doshas, mm -hmm. the more that you understand the um, the pancha mahabhutas, the... the um, basic elements uh and their qualities mm -hmm. the easier it becomes to find that balance you know you'll begin to understand if you have a little bit too much air and space in you that what you need is a little more earth and water to balance it it's as simple as that right. it's just finding the scales and learning what are those qualities and how you can bring the opposite quality in mm. to help find your health and balance nice yeah, and when you can live a life that's in balance, you know, the natural outcome is going to be vitality. Mm. Yeah. I uh, when, So the, the teacher that introduced uh, Ayurveda to me, my, my teacher trainer at the time, Danielle, um, when she was talking about doshas, she recognized herself as a pitta. She's hot, heavy pitta. And I think pitta with a little bit of vata on the secondary. <clears throat> and, um, and so she said that one of the things she realized once she found out what her dosha was um, that, you know, when to drink caffeine and when not to. Mm -hmm. So being a hot yoga instructor, which is what she was at the time, um, you know, she taught a lot of noon classes and mm -hmm. would try to amp up the energy levels for those noon classes. So she would sit there and pound Red Bulls before class. And then, but once she found out what her dosha was, she realized that she's over energizing herself. She's right. already at her peak level for that time for her dosha. And that now that she's introducing caffeine plus heat plus exercise, it's pushing her over the edge right. and it's making her too much of a pitta, which makes, which if you're on the extreme side of pitta, it can be come off as aggressive and, um, kind of abrasive, you know, you're, you're super energized. And, but so to her credit, once she found that out, she started dialing it back, drinking more water around noon instead of drinking a bunch of caffeine and, and it really helped stabilize, right. you know, so, so she, again, so she so had that wisdom then. Totally. Yeah. So the opposite energy, you know, what we, what we do to put out fire is we put water to the fire and that calms everything down. There yeah. You go. So that's exactly right. It's a perfect example yeah. of how to balance mm -hmm. the doshas. Yeah. yeah. And there's a there's a tons of ways you can find your doshas now. Dosha quizzes yeah, out dosha there. Dosha quizzes everywhere. Yeah. The one that I use and and uh, if anybody you know that listens to this is interested, they can certainly contact me. I have one that I got from my yoga teacher training that I just love. Cool. The reason why I love it is that when you answer the questions, uh, you can carry your answer over into one of two columns. And the A column on this particular test is that dosha as it's expressing itself in a balanced state. The B column is imbalance. Mm. And so when you're looking at that, anything in the B column that you've answered like a four or a five, because the numbers go from one to five. If you're at a four and a five in the B column, that is an area where like, okay, we need a little attention here. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then... Uh, in those questions, what I often find is when we're answering fours and fives in that B column, it has often to do with too much of an alignment with ego mm. and not enough objective awareness, you mm. know, to be in that jivatma, in that soul, uh, conscious, loving presence in the heart, mm. instead of letting the ego drive your behaviors, your thoughts, your deeds, your actions. Right. Yeah. 
And so that's some some of the reason why I love this as you as you spoke about it, uh, the, the sisters, you know, the sister sciences. And there's actually triplets. I don't know if you're aware oh, that there's I don't that think I was. it's triplets. Okay, what's the third? The third one is Jyotish. It's uh, Vedic uh, astrology. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, no, nope, that's new to me. Yeah, beautiful. So they're triplets, and at one time, you know, these were just the Vedic teachings. And mm. I think as things distilled down from thousands of years ago. There were probably people that had affinities for, you know, either the yogic path or the Ayurvedic path or the Jyotish path, which we see that today. Mm. But I feel like now we're really coming to this place of integration with a lot of different things, you know. And so there might still be people that have those specific affinities, but we have greater access now. Yeah. YouTube is an incredible, incredible resource that Definitely. we have available to us now. And so you might not be a person that wants to take the deep dive into Jyotish and learn all about the astrology and, you know, figure out what gems you want to put on your body to balance whatever's going on in the fifth house with whatever planet. But you can have access, easy access now to a Jyotish that can advise you. Hmm. Same is true as if you are, you know, really a committed yogi on the path. Uh, and you might not want to do the deep dive in Ayurveda, you can find somebody pretty readily to help advise you to bring balance to your doshas at this point in time. So there is this quality of integration that I feel is happening not only in this world, but in so many other things Mm. uh, in human consciousness and the way that we're navigating the world right now. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, I think that's one of the benefits of you know, we, we talk so much about negativities of social media and the, um, the addictive natures of it, um, the, the mindless scrolling and things like that. And there's going to be a toxic element to anything, right? There's always a t- there's toxic archetypes, right? There's healthy archetypes, there's toxic archetypes, right? Um, so knowing the toxicness of what that potential um, uh, modality can be, like internet, um, social media, um, knowing that toxicness, but, but working within it to still get the good from it. Cause there's still, like you said, there's so much knowledge yeah. out there. Like I can figure out anything now if I just have my, utilize my, what I consider my common sense and then pl- apply that to whatever YouTube or instructional mm-hmm. video that I'm mm-hmm. watching. Literally I can, I can, I can figure out a lot of stuff now, which is really cool, but it's also kind of dangerous. Cause we, we talked about this a little bit before we yeah. actually went live. Um, all the information being available is beautiful, but if we don't know how to properly utilize the information or ingest it properly, mm-hmm. um, then it can also it can also turn toxic. Yeah. Uh, it can become addictive, and oh, we can man. continue that process of looking outside for our wisdom. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, not letting it slide into that addictive pattern of just always seeking outside yourself, but mm-hmm. take the in- take that information in, integrate it, you know, and pull forth your own truth from Mm. how you've integrated that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's amazing resources out there now. Definitely. What do you, um, um, just on the, the, uh, the topic of what was the third one again? Jodesh? Jyotish. Jyotish. Um, with the, the astrology side, um, I've recently been introduced to human design. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I had, I had a woman on a couple weeks ago, Lindsay Love that talked about human design and a lot of the integration of the different modalities into human design to give you that, um, you know, what we call doshas in Ayurveda, um, to give you your, um, your sign or your, your direction in, um, and for human design. So it's like, uh, manifest generators, manifest generators, 
uh, reflectors, and I can't remember the fifth one off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, but you know, it takes aspects of the I Ching. It takes aspects of astrology. It takes aspects of quantum physics, a bunch of different modalities, puts them together, and then there's human design. Nice. Like, holy cow. Like, nice. There's just so much yeah. to all these different ways of finding out the little nuances mm-hmm. about our lives now, about our little spiritual practices. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't really that great? Isn't it that is. great? That integration of different, different traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we are, you know, we're multifaceted beings, and the more that we can find these tools with which to look through the lens at ourselves and understand ourselves better, then the the more we can be intelligent about how we are caring for ourselves and how we're interacting in the world, just like, you know, the teachings and the yogic teachings of the yamas and the niyamas, you know, is this moral and ethical codes of behavior of self-care and integration and interaction with the rest of all of creation around us, Definitely. you know, just like Amazon. when I came into your home today and I met your dog, you know, and you informed me your dog is a little skittish with new people, you know, she's all big and white and fluffy and if people would just <laughs> want to jump in there. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just let her come to me, you know, you're using that wisdom intelligently to take mm. proper action in the moment. And she was sweet with her greeting with me. Yeah, so. she was. That's oh, beautiful. Uh, yeah. So at any rate, um, yeah, so my early teacher, Yogi Raj, you know, like I said, introduced me. I didn't know I was being introduced to Ayurveda at the time, but yeah. it was really lovely. Um, I tended to have a lot of kapha energy in okay. my body early on, and it manifested itself in my inability to breathe through my nose when I would lie down in Shavasana at the end of the practice. And so he told me that I should start drinking fenugreek tea. Oh, okay. And so fenugreek is very astringent yeah. in its nature. And so it has that kind of drying quality to pull that extra kapha out of my sinuses to open up my nasal passages and sinuses so that I could breathe when I was oh. doing meditation lying in Shavasana. So it's like those simple little things, you know, mm. and, and the yogic diet and introducing us to a quote unquote yogi tea. You know, <laughs> not the brand yogi tea. Ginger <laughs> and cinnamon and cardamom. You know, early on in my mm. life, I was introduced to these things. Wow. And um, so, but yeah, when I went through my yoga teacher training and got those initial introductions to a deeper understanding of Ayurveda, it was really, you know, illuminating, just as it was for you, too. Mm. Did you find yourself, <laughs> uh, once you were, you know, done with your teacher training and get that broad brushstroke knowledge? Um, when did that path of Ayurveda kind of take you and say, no, we're, we're not done with you yet. You got yeah. some stuff to learn still. So it's very, you know, one of the things that was very inspiring to me from my training, um, I went from my 200 hour kind of right into my 300 hour to advance. You know, my, my goal really was to get a yoga, yoga, um, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on it. Isn't that funny <laughs> how your brain just goes, Zoom. yep. Uh, but yoga therapy, I was really interested in advancing my education into yoga therapy. Um, Mm. and so part of that was a weekend retreat that was focused on, uh, spring cleansing. Mm. And so that's one of the tenets of Ayurveda is, uh, seasonal cleansing twice a year predominantly. But if you want to do milder cleanses in the off seasons as well, you can do that. But predominantly it's spring and autumn are these big transition times within the year where there's a lot of, uh, vata, uh, in the autumn as you're going towards winter. And then a lot of kapha buildup from the winter going into spring. Okay. Uh, so 
after attending that weekend and really doing a little deeper dive into Ayurveda, um, I started running workshops. I started mm. running retreats and workshops and teaching people what I had learned and, you know, gifting them the blessing of seasonal cleansing. Yeah. And so that, that began to take it a little deeper for me. And then the, uh, the CEO of the yoga school became the CEO of an Ayurveda school for mm -hmm. a period of time. And her senior students in the yoga school were blessed to have a little discount on running through the Ayurveda health counseling training that mm. this Ayurveda school was offering. So I took her up on that advantage. Beautiful. <laughs> Hell yeah. And uh, that was through the Kerala Ayurveda Academy. And Dr. J. Rajan Kodikanath is the medical director and main instructor okay. for the Kerala Ayurveda Academy. And so it was a, a year-long process of doing a deep dive mm. into Ayurveda. Yeah. And um, yeah, ever since then, it's just really been an integral part of how I approach yoga therapy and... Um, really want people to understand not only how yoga asana can improve their life and how, you know, meditation pranayama can improve their life, but understanding themselves in their doshas, both in the prakriti, which is their uh, basic like DNA constitution, and the vikriti, which is the imbalances and how as you're moving through life and the dynamics of life, mm -hmm. your personal choices, what season it is, where you are in the trajectory of your lifetime, um, all these different influences are at play in the dynamics of all of the elemental forces. Right. And they can tend to pull certain doshas out of balance. Okay. And so understanding that and teaching people how to create that balance, just like your example that you shared about your hot yoga person <laughs> pounding the red bulls right before class at yeah. noontime, because you know not only is she pitta, not only is it hot yoga, and then you put the caffeine there, and it's noontime, so it's the highest point of pitta in the day. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> so it's like fire it on up. fire on fire on <laughs> fire. She's on fire. <laughs> And she was, and she was. I can, I can only Lord. imagine what that must have been like. She would have terrified me. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of energy, a lot of energy. You so, know, yeah, so finding that way, you know, yeah. to understand, understand yourself. I mean, this is really what the Vedas are looking to teach us anyway. And that's, you know, when we understand ourselves, when we can have that intrinsic knowledge of ourselves, um, then we're ready for it. We're ready for, we're ready for our path. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in, in the West, uh, we're, we're so used to somebody telling us what, what to do, what's wrong with us, what's sick about us, you know, go to a doctor, give me a pill and let me be on my way. Mm -hmm. But when we can empower people to embody themselves and to intrinsically look inside and say, okay, what does my intuition tell me? You know, here's the information that you can have, right? Here's, let's take Ayurveda, right? Here's your doshas. Yeah. You find out what your dosha is. You have that information now. You're your own healer. Like that's the message that I tell every single person that I work with. It's I'm not going to wave true. a magic wand mm -hmm. and give you something you don't have. I will hold space. I will help educate you with the tools that I have. But that's your work to do. I'll, I'll hold that's the space right. and I'll share the love. But that's your work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. be here with you on your journey. Yeah. But that's you, right? Yeah, and as the teacher, as the as a facilitator for healing, you know, we really are just gifting them greater toolkit, you know, to apply to themselves and inspire. Hopefully, you know, we're inspiring them to actually take those actions because mm. it's very easy to slip back into an automatic robotic 
habitual action, you know, because it's, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to be present. You don't have to make that conscious choice to take a different road. Mm -hmm. Um, So in part of our body, like our body, like our brain, one of the ways our brain works that we now know is that our brain loves ritual because it saves energy by going through what we already know. And so, Yes, when you take yourself out of your ritual or your your commonality, it does feel exhausting at first because you're doing something your brain isn't traditionally used to doing. So it's exerting more energy, which makes you more tired. So ideally, we do like to live in that pocket of comfort. But that pocket of comfort, we're, we're not growing at that point. Like our growth happens when we change something in yeah. our lives, when we go through something dramatic or traumatic or something yeah. intense. I'm not growing sitting there on the beach with my feet in the sand watching the waves. I'm peaceful and I'm relaxed, don't get me wrong, but I'm not growing as a human being. My growth happens when I'm facing the shit, when I'm facing my demons, when I'm going against something that I know is right, Mm -hmm. that I know is wrong, right? When I'm standing up for myself, this is when I start to change and grow as a human being, you know? So face that stuff sometimes, you know, fight through that exhaustion. Yeah, and it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. You know, one of the things in the yogic teachings is about these, uh, the kleshas, you know, and uh, and all of the different ways that we are needing to, like, slay our dragons, mm. you know, and, and most of that is coming from the illusion that we're separate from the divine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, then when we, when we attach ourselves to the egoic identity, then, you know, we're lost in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we can really hook up to that grander perspective, that is the jivatma, that is that soul loving, like mm-hmm. I just love Ramdas, you know, and his mantra, I am loving awareness. Mm-hmm. And when you can dwell in that, it's so much easier to be in the present moment and let that higher perspective, that grander view be that guiding principle for you to be able to make those positive changes. Yeah. But it is not easy. No. <laughs> you know, the energies in the root chakra, the energies in Svadhisthana and the bowl of the pelvis, you know, these are very dense. When we look at the, the energy system, mm-hmm. You know, the vibration of Muladhara and Svadhisthana, those first two energy centers, are mm-hmm. very slow. It's it's like trying to turn the Titanic and miss the <laughs> iceberg. <laughs> you know, it's freaking dense. It's like molasses. It is. It's like molasses. Yeah. It's like honey on yeah. a 20-degree day. It's like, and they're ingrained, you know, and the neural pathways in our brain of reactive instead of responsive are mm. very deeply ingrained. And so it does take great effort to sort of slay those dragons of perpetual habitual, you know, the the, the uh, samskaras, the karmas, all of this, mm-hmm. you know, it's a human condition. It's right. a human condition. But, you know, the more that we can do our sadhana and bring our consciousness to that loving conscious awareness then we have some objectivity right. and some motivation and right. some support, you know, to feel that loving conscious presence and compassion flowing through us to help us make those better choices. Right. But it's a lifetime's worth of, you know, dedicated effort. Right. Some of those things are so deeply entrenched. It's very hard to disengage. You know, I'm going to turn 60 this year and I'm still working at it. Damn straight. Damn straight. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, you know, it, go, it kind of goes back to that I, I, I ideology for me is, you know, once you scratch away that, that little bit of foil and you see that little pinprick of light come through, 
you can't put that foil back yeah. on. It's that, that light's just going to get brighter there. and brighter. You keep yeah. picking away. It's like, oh, shit, that bright light. Oh, it's brighter. a little brighter. It's a yeah. little brighter now. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You know, in, in, you know, I have a friend of mine, Robin, that tells me, uh, you know, life is the longest thing we'll ever do, right? And yeah, it is. That's a very blatant, you know, cut and dry point. Mm-hmm. Why not do some work while we're here? Right. Nobody's well, going to do we're here your for. work. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to do your work. And speaking of Ram Dass, uh, one of the things I love him saying, uh, I think his guru told him one time when he was uh, still in his psychedelic phase, like just kind of teetering, coming out of that phase, but still using psychedelics. Um, his guru one time, uh, one of the gurus that he worked with, I don't know if it was... Um, Neem Karoli Baba? Not Neem Karoli Baba. Okay. That was the one that he talks about a lot, but... Um, uh, Maharsh- but Maharshi. Maharaji, yeah. yeah. But, um, but it was a different teacher that he worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, the teacher told him, Ram Dass was just spinning one day. He was spinning. He's like, I just don't want to be a human being, this human shit. You know, like he's just <laughs> don't want to be this. I want to be a sound. I want to send. I want to get to that next level. And so his, uh, his teacher told him, uh, well, you're, you're on earth, right? You're, you're being a human? Cool. Why don't you learn the curriculum? It's like, oh shit. Yeah. All right, cool. Apply I'm, yourself. I'm here for a reason. Yeah. Let's learn about this stuff, That's right? right? And so when and that that was one of the big thing aha moments for me, you know, I when I found my spiritual path, I kept thinking about how to get to that next, how to end it, right? When do I get healed? When do yeah. I find the light? When do I light? dwell in samadhi, right? right? You know, but then that, that's not the thing. It's not, it's yeah. all about the path, you know, to walk in the path, uncovering it yeah. as you go, understanding that as soon as you quote unquote conquer something, there's the next thing that you're, <laughs> you're faced with. And then here comes that thing you thought you conquered. Right. It's going to come right back at you right. and be like, Hey, you ready? You sure you're done with that yet? Cause I don't think you are, you know, but yeah. you know, we have this life to live. Why don't we figure it out? Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly true. And it is like peeling away the onion layers, you know, like you think you've conquered that one, slayed that one dragon, and, you know, then it's going to turn back around years later and show you another aspect of itself. Yep. So, you know, luckily we have these beautiful deities from the Hindu tradition mm-hmm. to guide us, and one of our great buddies, of course, is Ganesha to help us have at least a little sense of humor and a little lightness yeah. as we're approaching those demons and those dragons. Actually, you know, thank you for bringing that up, because one of the things that I've always kind of wondered about was how or if the the, the Hindu deities kind of intermesh in with Ayurveda and those, those uh, sciences, because, yeah. you know, they... They there seem is to... a great interplay. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. they seem to like parallel each other really yeah. well. But I've in the books that I've read and the people I've talked to, I've never asked if they crossed over, but no one's ever brought over a crossover. Yeah, I mean, it's a very fine line. Mm. You know, it's like when I'm teaching yoga, I like to talk about the sage edge, the difference between where is work and where is pain mm. and, and really being mindful and respectful of that age and not pushing over into that fine line. And I feel the same is true between Hinduism and yoga and Ayurveda. You know, they're very closely related. But of course, what we teach in yoga, especially here in our culture, mm-hmm. that's like, oh, you know, don't step on anybody's religion, right? It's <laughs> not religion. Yoga is not religion. Ayurveda exactly. is not religion. It is a way of life. It is a strategic set of tools that we can apply to our life, you know, that can support any religious belief system right. and practices, you know, so, but Ganesha, you know, he's, he's our, you know, our wise, wise son of Shiva uh-huh. that gives us that humility and, you know, being unattached to beauty, 
as, you know, an identity and that sense of humor. Definitely. You know, to be light, even though sometimes slaying the dragons can be, you know, pretty intense endeavor. Yeah. To be light. Yeah. To be light with that. I, uh, Ganesh was one of the first <laughs> deities that, uh, I think a lot of us were exposed to. It's a pretty mm -hmm. common deity in, in mm -hmm. yoga practice, but I was always introduced to Ganesh as the remover of obstacles. Right. Like, cool. All right. Get that stuff out of my way. And then the more I started to learn about Ganesh, the mischievous side of Ganesh is that he's also the placer of obstacles. So as much as he'll move something out of your way, he'll move something in your way exactly. to see how you're doing. Yeah. What's going on? What are you going to do with this obstacle yeah. in your life now? You yeah. Know? There were some that would say that Ganesha is the obstacle. There you go. As well. Yeah. You know, that that's the opportunity that we have to go into that obstacle hmm. and explore it and learn. Because, of course, it's the, it's the obstacles, it is the adversities that teach us the most in this life. And so, yeah. 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 And when uh, he's a good one, he's he a is, really good one. He is. I, I remember one of my first uh, uh, bouts with Ganesh. Um, it, it, it really taught me how to, um, how to love in the future. I wasn't ready at that point in time, but in the future, it taught me how to love my ego mm. instead of trying to kill my ego. Yeah. You know, and when you can, you know, so Ganesh put obstacles in my place. And at first I'm like, what the F is this elephant guy doing? You know, get these out of my way. That's just, you're supposed to do. And then I learned like, it's there for me. It's my gift from it's Ganesh. It's a tool. Totally. You know, and, and, and once I figured that out, it's like, okay, I see you. And I'm going to see how this problem should be solved in my head. And I'm mm -hmm. going to solve this problem and move this thing mm -hmm. out of my way. And so now, mm -hmm. cool. Gotcha, Ganesh. I feel you. I'm, yeah. I'm understanding where you're at. <laughs> but that also, it, it made me really uh, prepared to look at my ego. And uh, when I was finally ready to what I thought was kill my ego, um, when I tried, my ego was like, no, nah, dude, no. Where were you going to put me? I am important. I helped you. Uh, raise your kids. I helped you get to this life to where you understood you needed spirituality. So don't throw me away. Right. And as soon as I realized that I gave him a hug, told him I loved him and now we're friends, yeah. you know, and it's still the ego it's pops allies. up. Totally. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. still pops up. You know, yeah, sometimes the ego likes to whisper like the consciousness that I higher self and like try to play games with me, but it's my intuition now that I can understand why my ego is trying to do that and where it doesn't feel supported instead of just being like, shut up ego. Why are you trying to be an ego right, right. now? It's like, no, Hey, guess what? I love you. And here's an M&M. I'll come back. One, to you of, one of the things that I love is that objective, that objectiveness with the ego. I remember one time a teacher saying something like, um, you know, we can think of the ego as sort of like one of the people on the board of directors. Mm -hmm. And that the conscious loving awareness is the CEO of the big corporation and the ego is just one voice, you know, giving you some information. And as the CEO, you can be like, thank you for that information. I'll take that into consideration. I like that. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So that objectivity, definitely. you know, that objectivity, because it is valuable. Most definitely. We are here in a human form, just like you were saying earlier, you know, you're here. And so get in with the curriculum, as Ramdas said, get, yep. get into the curriculum. And part of that is having a human body, you know, that has body odor and makes weird sounds at times. And sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's glee, sometimes mm -hmm. there's depression. 
you know, the whole gamut of it. Yeah. And uh, so we're here to dance in the realms of this density and let that loving conscious awareness grow in its mm. wisdom because of that dance. Love that. And the more that we can adopt the yogic lifestyle and this Ayurvedic lifestyle, the more wisdom we have to understand ourselves and then to really you know, apply the yamas and the niyamas of yoga mm. and skillfully navigate, you know, yeah. and build up our vitality in Ayurveda. In uh, Sanskrit, they call it ojas. Ojas, okay. Your vitality, which is translates to your immunity, which of course is so poignant for where we are in space and time right now oh with this gosh, pandemic yeah. raging across the country um, to build the... Uh, immunity to build the ojas to the point where we can be resilient if Almost we come right. across, if the virus finds us, right. then we can meet it with a lot of vitality, a lot of energy so mm -hmm. that we can integrate the information that's coming from that virus. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's for me, I, uh, so I, I had COVID about a year ago or so. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when I, uh, when I first got it, you know, it was, uh, you know, you have the, the body depression, you know, you're sick and all this stuff. And originally, you know, I, I just, I wanted to lean into just subconsciously. I was like, give me NyQuil, give me the, you know, the things, the, the Western medicines. And I, and I did that, I think for maybe the first day. And then, um, I woke up the next morning and I'm, and I instinct, instinctively went to go meditate. Like I always do in the mornings. And as soon as I sat down, it just hit me. I'm like, I need, why, why am I taking pills for this stuff? Right. Mantras, mudras, mm -hmm. my energy work, right. Plant medicines, you know, get this stuff into my body that I know has uh, intrinsic value within me, not something that's just going to mask my symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so I started working with the Shiva Lingam uh, mantra or not mantra, but mudra um, for energy rising. Um, I was doing, uh, the Chamunde Durga mantras to chant, to help energize my body, oming, um, doing alternate nostril breathing, you know, breathing techniques. And within probably 48, 12 to 48 hours, most of my symptoms were gone. I mean, I still had the virus still tested positive, but I felt like a human being again. Mm -hmm. And I really, it, it leaning into those practices helped me so much. And, and not only because, the practices I felt worked, but it, it empowered me. It empowered me to know that I'm the one doing this. I'm calling on these energies from the world and from the universe, but it's in within me yeah. and I am finding this energy. And that made me so much more mm -hmm. confident about the state of mind that I that I needed to be in to conquer this thing. Yeah. So you're living the teachings. Like you said earlier in our conversation, you are the healer, right? Yeah. You know, we are the healer, everything inside of us, has the capacity to transcend, to move through, to integrate, and to come again to a state of balance, mm. you know, and out of that balance arises this ojas, this vitality. So good for you that you remembered to use your tools. <laughs> Took me a little bit, but uh, yeah, like, we uh, get there. What is the combination on that lock right. of my toolbox again? <laughs> yeah. Let me see. What was that? Okay, yeah. So you busted uh, out the toolkit. I did. Nice. I did. We're working with it. <laughs> good you know? job. Well, um, you know, and the more that you do like the day-to-day -day work of, like I said, understanding your particular constitution, and we didn't really go into that. I mean, maybe we can chat about that now. Like, yeah. what are the doshas, Definitely. right? Let's do it. So I mentioned before um, that everything in the universe, including ourselves, is made up of these five basic elements mm -hmm. of earth, water, fire, air, and space. And so the doshas are combinations of those elemental forces. 
So uh, the lightest of those is the vata, which is comprised of the air and the uh, space elements. Okay. So it's the, it's the one dosha that has like the least material matter. Okay. So it's very light. Very airy. Very airy. Mm. If we think about the wind, you know, that's a natural expression of vata on the planet. Um, vata energy is responsible for all movement. Mm. All movement in the body and in the planet and in the universe. Uh, every, every aspect, anything that you see that's moving, anything that's moving inside of your body, vata is at play mm. there. Okay. So the breath moving in and out of the body, the heartbeat, uh, all of the digestion moving through from the moment that you put the food in your mouth, you're chewing, that's movement. Mm -hmm. And so the whole movement through the digestive tube and through to elimination is all vata. Wow. And so because of its nature, vata is the one of the doshas that's going to be as uh, the, the one that's most apt to go out of balance because we're in motion, we're in dynamic change all of the time. And so they say that vata is sort of like the king of the doshas. Mm. And the one that we need to be mindful of, no matter what our constitution is, we always need to be caring for vata. Okay. And so... When we talk about the doshas, we also like to talk about the qualities of each of the doshas. And so vata's qualities are light, clear, dry, mobile, okay. rough. These are all qualities of vata. And so uh, the ones that I think are the most predominant where we see them showing up in our body is the cold element. Did I mention that one before? Cold is one of them. Okay. Cold and dry. Okay. Is what we see. And so in a winter climate that we're in right now, cold is a predominant force mm. that we're dealing with as we're in the shorter time of the year, shorter daylight hours of the year. And so there's a lot more cold that we have to be mindful of. And so when we go outside, even if you have a strong pitta constitution, we need to be thinking, how am I going to take care of vata today? If I go outside, maybe putting a hat on today is a good idea. Okay. Maybe putting a wool sweater on is a good idea. We're taking care of vata. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other aspect is staying well hydrated. Mm, okay. You know, uh, drinking warm water <clears throat> instead of cold water, especially in the wintertime. Um in the summertime, drinking room temperature and not cold, not cold because water, even yeah. in the summer, you want to be taking care of vata. Yeah. So that was one of the things that was hard for me, by the way, in the beginning when I was learning Ayurveda. I did not want to give up my ice cold drinks. I know. I did. I, I grew you up in the South. You had that problem too? So yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm all, all about the, like ice cold, iced tea, you <laughs> yeah. know, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hard one for me. Me too. It took a while. I resisted. Yeah, Totally. Every once anyway, in a while. when you finally switch over, like one of the things that I have seen consistently and I've heard from many other Ayurvedic practitioners, uh -huh. the simple change from ice cold drinks to drinking warm water is absolutely transformational for some people in creating greater health. Yeah. it, it uh, So when I introduced drinking warm water, um, it was the um, the idea of drinking warm lemon water to replace coffee. Yeah. And, uh, and I started drinking warm lemon water instead of the coffee and it changed 
everything about my life. Isn't the that digestion, great? my hydration. Um, I could I could feel I could actually feel energy entering my body from the lemon instead of the coffee, which was dopamine rush and then dragged down, right? right. Um, it it was night and day. It really yeah. was. And uh, so hard, hard to go away from cold drinks just because I love, like I said, love cold drinks. (laughs) But now I like, if I drink something ice cold, my teeth get like super sensitive, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm, I'm really into that kind of lukewarm-ish kind of water idea. Yeah. Yeah. I know it said that, you know, everything in our body is supposed to be at like, you know, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Nice warm body. And so if we put something cold in, we have to expel extra energy to warm that cold thing up before Mm. we can begin to integrate it into our body. It first has to be warmed up. So why would you want to expel extra vital energy just to warm up your iced drink? I never even, you know, I've never thought about it like that. That makes so much sense. Doesn't it though? For you, your body to to get it to a temperature that needs to, that it needs to be at for it to Mm -hmm. do something positive with Mm -hmm. it. Thank you. Yeah, you're wow. welcome. That's a really, that's a, you know, there's those little, little eye openers, those little things <laughs> that you never expect to get. That was, that one, was of those. one of them. That was one of those for Oh, me. good. Thank well, hopefully that. that's good for everybody else who's listening beautiful. too. Uh, let me see. Another thing about vata. Uh, a person who has a lot of vata in their constitution, uh, there's a tendency to want to like just tangent off into different things all the time you know they're just captivated by the next new shiny thing (laughs) kind of like the nature of human consciousness in america today but uh they are very easily distracted and they uh they don't handle routines very well but that's the medicine that a strong vata constitution person is going to need to balance that you know to bring because again one of the qualities is mobility and so if we can bring routine into that mobility, mm. then there's going to be greater balance and less tendencies for that vata to cause disease down the line. Okay. Yeah. So routine, routine. you know, like you said, in the morning you switched your routine from coffee to warm lemon water and saw all these amazing results. Mm-hmm. So finding routines that make sense to you for routines of self-care, they call it saucha. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the yamas and the niyamas talk about saucha practices. Um, routines of when you eat, routines of when you sleep, routines mm-hmm. of when you wake up, you know, those, those are going to create this balance for this energy of vata that just wants to fly off, you know. That which, you know, that makes sense because, you know, with the wind, you know, wind being one of the predominant uh, qualities of vata, the wind is not regular. It's erratic. Right. Exactly. And so we want to bring stability into that erraticness to find the balance. Right. So we embrace the, the, the mobility of the wind and we understand that it needs to be that, but we also understand for us to be productive, we need to bring some ritual to it. Yeah. So that's where we start to look at the elements to find the balance of what something might mm-hmm. uh, es- escalate something, What what's going to bring that back in. Right. Interesting. Okay. And then it's sort of like, you know, the airbender. Mm-hmm. You know, then you can harness the wind and you can channel it and direct it because vata energy is very creative and we need that. Mm. You know, we need creativity. We need uh, inspiration that comes from that sort of ethereal plane. And we can draw from that. But we need enough grounding and enough stability and enough routine to be able to consciously direct that and bring manifestation to your dreams and visions. If they're always up in the air without any capacity for grounding and manifesting, then it's just an idea. Right. Yeah. 
And what we need to be able to do is to create. We create our art. We create our communications. Mm. And so those are just some ideas around vata. Beautiful. The, uh, the second dosha is pitta. Okay. And so you've already talked a little bit about pitta. Mm-hmm. Pitta is comprised of the fire and the water element. And what they say in Ayurveda is that the water is there to keep the fire a little bit tamed. Because if it was only fire, it would just be consumptive. Yeah. You know, it would just burn everything up. Mm-hmm. So we balance that heat, that feisty, fiery heat with a little bit of water. Yeah. And in our bodies, uh, what they say is um, like the digestive juices, the enzymes and the hydrochloric acid in the stomach is a representation of that water. Oh, okay. That fiery water. Right. That okay. has the capacity to digest our food. Okay. And pitta really is that nature. It's the nature of digestion and transformation. And uh, so in the physical body, it's that process of digestion predominantly of our food. But we can also think about the digestion of our perceptions. Okay. And turning those perceptions into our wisdom. Okay. And so quality, you know, you think about the qualities of fire. It's a predominant thing in pitta is the fire. Mm -hmm. So it has light and it has heat. And it has uh, like a rajasic nature, very passionate. Pitta people are very sensitive uh, people. They're very loving people mm. as well. Um, but they can be volatile. Like you said, the, the yoga teacher example that you had, you know, yeah. her classes could be really intense yes. because <laughs> of all that fire. So they can be like that. One of the things they say about a pitta constitution person is that they can handle really big problems very well because they have this capacity to look at a situation and see clearly what needs to be done and can take action or they can delegate action Mm, because they have the ability to see what qualities are in the individual people around them and know like, oh, well, you know, Jacob over there, he's got this set of qualities that can really handle that aspect of this problem. So I'm going to ask Jacob to go do this part. And then, you know, Amanda over there, she has this quality in her. So she's going to be really good at handling this aspect of whatever that problem is. And, uh, so they have that, that, CEO managerial quality of being able to see a problem, develop a plan, delegate jobs, and put it into action. Okay. Um, but what Pitta, strong Pitta constitution people struggle with is small things going wrong. Mm, okay. They can get really ticked off at like stupid, just stupid like minor stuff. details. Like just you know. don't feel Okay. Yeah. Just like. You know, if you're gesticulating, talking with your hands and you knock into your teacup and your teacup falls over, they will just lose their mind over something stupid like that. Okay. Whereas, like I said, they can handle those big challenges, no problem. Yeah. But little thing going wrong. End of the the world. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) And it's that fire that's so strong in them, Mm. you know, and another aspect of the constitution people is perfectionism. Because of their capacity to see clearly what's going on, they always sort of have a plan in mind. They have a design in mind. And, uh, you know, little quirky, funky, weird stuff happens in life, you know. And so that's not part of the plan. And it just ticks them off, you know. Yeah. (laughs) God, that resonates a lot. Wow. So, uh you know, thinking about the qualities then, again, 
of how to balance, how mm-hmm. to balance. Like, I love your example of like your yoga teacher drinking water instead of Red Bull. Right. It's that kind of thing. Like, what do you know is going to cool down a fire <laughs> so that you have greater response to those quirky things going on instead of losing your mind over it and just blowing up in volatility. Right. So cooling it down. In the yogic practice, um, one of the things that's really great for a pitta, strong pitta constitution person, say they're doing, you know, really um, strong vinyasa practice. Okay. And, you know, they're into their warrior poses or they're into their one leg standing balancing poses and they're like, mm, yeah, I got this because I got all this fire. Uh-huh. One of the things that a pitta person can do is like, take their eyes down to half closed just to narrow their their vision a little bit and bring their awareness more than externalizing to bring it more inward and soften and align to the heart to the love and the compassion in the heart Mm. just to like take that intensity down so that's just one example you know yeah of a way and then you know if if you're in a project and you've got that perfectionism, you know, that striving for like every I is dotted, every T is crossed, all the lines are straight, the angles, but <laughs> and if something goes awry, you know, to find your way back quickly to love and compassion, mm. because we are in a human condition and there is all sorts of, you know, elements that are going to come in and maybe jack up your great plan. Yeah. There's a uh, there's an author that I read recently. His name's Kamal Ravikant. He wrote a, wrote a book called um, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Mm. Great book. Real quick quick read. Um, but uh, his practice talking about that, uh, what you were just talking about with uh, getting in our own heads and like you know overanalyzing ourselves, is that his practice is when he finds himself doing that, talking negatively to, to himself in whatever way, he'll try to stop what he's doing. If there's a mirror, he'll look in a mirror. But if not, you know, kind of close your eyes or look up at the sky and, and breathe in and tell yourself, I love myself. And then on your exhale, say thank you and try to do that 10 times. Oh, yeah. And it's that's been a really good practice for me to help me mm-hmm. kind of get out of that negative self-talk, that false story that a lot of us tell ourselves. Um, nice. So whether it's a pose that I'm in in yoga class or uh, my most recent example was uh, I, I just finally launched my website. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. And there were just like two little, little quirky nuanced things that I couldn't figure out and I couldn't get anybody on help, tech support to help me out. And that Pitta energy just exploded into me. And I just said, F it. And I walked away for, for like two months because I couldn't figure out two things. And it like stalled my pro- pro- productivity for two months. <laughs> then finally, I'm like, okay, stop being a stubborn asshole. Embrace the the help that you have and figure this out. And I figured it out. So nice. So yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Sometimes we just get in our heads with that stuff and yeah. we don't realize that, you know, we're really doing yeah. it to ourselves. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you need a little simmer on those two two components. So it's good that you walked away rather than like thrashing your computer, taking it by the neck and choking it out. (laughs) Yeah, just figuratively, just in my head. That's all I did. Right, right, right. Yeah, sometimes I wish we many of us could do that, right? Just choke the living daylights out of that technology. Uh (laughs) So, yeah. So, um a little bit about pitta then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit about pitta. I mean, there's lots more that could be discussed. Uh, ways to balance um, 
Maybe I'll just backtrack to Vata for a moment. Um, And then we can also transition into Pitta. Some ideas around food and Mm. spices and things like that. With a Vata constitution, the predominance is going to be cold and dry. So thinking about the foods that you could bring in to balance that vata, um, because it's airy energy, Mm -hmm. eating lots of root vegetables. Okay. They're bringing kapha into the vata person to balance. So what is more earthy than a root vegetable, right? right? And a little more dense kind of Yeah, right. Really just bring some matter into that energy that just wants to fly off and be in space. Uh, and then also taking those root vegetables and making them into a soup. Mm, the warmth. The water, the liquid that's okay. going to meet that dry element. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. Okay. And then on top of that, bringing warming spices. You know, what Ayurveda says is that the medicine that we need is right in your kitchen cabinet. Mm. So for vata, vata can really tolerate chili peppers, you know? Okay. Whereas a pitta person... Probably not a good idea to eat chili peppers. (laughs) Uh, So chili peppers, warming spices, you know, like uh, garlic and onions, the pungent Mm. spices are going to be something that's going to really be the medicine to balance that vata energy. Um, uh, What else would be great would be um, uh, cumin, Mm. really nice warming, warming spice to balance. And then unctuousness. This word unctuous means like oils, heaviness, the unctuousness of uh, uh, ghee. Ghee is ghee. an amazing mm. medicine for vata. Yeah. Just amazing medicine for vata. So, and I wouldn't suggest cooking in the ghee, but uh, preparing your food and then just putting like a little dollop of ghee over the top of your portion and okay. letting it melt into the food and consuming it that way. Nice. Yeah. What was the word you used again? Unctuous. Unctuous. Yeah. That's a good word. I know. Like that's that. a good yeah, word. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So, and then for pitta, uh-huh. uh, cooling, you know, think, thinking about things that are going to be cooling to take that fire down a little bit. So, mm. you know, cucumbers are really great. Cilantro yeah. is a really wonderful mm. herb. And then the seeds of cilantro is uh, coriander. Coriander, yeah. So putting that into the food, okay. you know, thinking about things that are going to be cooling. Um, pitta can use sweet because of its nature being a little fiery and feisty and a little volatile and sometimes angry. Okay. Bringing sweet taste in for okay. pitta. Okay, so some fruits and some, like some, something exactly. on the Exactly, okay. yeah, yeah. If pitta's getting pissed off, give him a date. There you go. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> Here, honey, calm down. Uh-huh. Here's the date. No, no more pocket chocolate. I have pocket dates for you. Here you yeah. go. <laughs> Just keep them handy for those loving pitta people that are in your uh, life. That's beautiful. Here, I have something for you. <laughs> How do you always know what I need? <laughs> oh, Wisdom of the Vedas. There you go. There you go. It's right at our fingertips. <laughs> and pitta, you know, I talked about the, the need for routine for vata. Mm-hmm. When it comes to pitta... Uh, they will be the person that's going to get hangry Mm, if they don't get their food on time. Because again, like I said, the energy is about digestion and transformation. And so their cooking fire in their body, what's called Agni in Sanskrit, is really high. So they consume their food really quick and moves through really fast. And if they don't get their food on time... 
and you've got all that fire and then you've got that acidity building up in okay. that pitta gut yeah they can get really ticked off if they don't get their food on time okay so don't get out of you know get out of the way let them get to the fridge whatever you know when they come home and they're like i need my food yeah here's a date <laughs> yeah and, and don't bring up any intense conversation until they've had their food okay all right so some ideas around. Good to know. <laughs> I should have, when I was managing people, you know, I should have had my, my, my staff take these dosha tests so I could know when to <laughs> yeah. talk to them, how to talk to them, you know, when to approach, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you'll be a much better manager now. <laughs> oh, man. Love that. So the third dosha is kapha. Okay. And so kapha is the elements of earth and water. So if we think about vata in contrast, the lightest, the least material, then kapha is the most material. Mm, okay. We think about the energies of earth and water. We think about clay. Okay. And, you know, clay builds things. Mm, you know, we build mm. pots and we build, you know, cups and we build things. And that's its nature, its cohesiveness. Mm. What uh, my Ayurveda teacher says is, is the glue energy. It's the stuff that holds the material thing together. Okay. And so, uh, you know, because of its nature, earth and water, there's um, a kind of density to kapha. Hmm. Um, it's watery, it's liquidy in its nature, uh, it's stable, it's stoic, hmm. uh, can, can tend towards stubbornness as well, uh, dark and heavy. These are its qualities. Okay. And so if kapha begins to get out of balance, what we need is a little vata, mm -hmm. you know, to bring Lairiness. a little bit more ability, a little lightness, a little uh, dryness into that wet, right. sticky, gluey energy, you mm. know. Uh, so kapha people, what, what's one of the positive things about kapha people that I hear is that they have uh, a great endurance mm. they make great business owners because those first few years of a business you know they can be a little rocky things can get a little like ooh, money is tight and we're not quite getting our business flowing how we want it but a kapha person has that stick-to-itiveness you know mm. that manifesting quality of density and holding into an intense situation for long enough to move through that rocky period and really create the stability that's needed to mm. carry a business forward and make it be long lasting. Okay. And so the same is true for relationships. You know, they have that sticking in there through the hard times kind of quality. Right, yeah. You know? um, but Vata, like I said, can turn to stubbornness. They can get stuck in a rut. They yeah. can be hard to motivate if the Vata, if the Kapha is too, uh, too out of balance. Okay. So they need that inspiration. So like the dynamic duo for a business partnership would be a kapha and a vata person together, you know, because you've got all that inspiration and those great ideas and, you know, all that vata energy balanced with this manifesting power of kapha. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, so I, when I took my dosha quiz years and years ago, <clears throat> I recognized as a um, kapha heavy with a, um, I think a vata secondary. Oh, great. And uh, Monica, my, my, my partner in life and also my business partner, um, is Vata. 
so it's funny nice. that I mean, it, as you're explaining the vata kapha, you know, you're kind seeing of seeing your life, a hundred percent. Monica's the 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 free flowing idea generator. The that they look at all these cool things that are happening. You know, the the whimsicalness of life, and then for me, I'm the stoic, sometimes stubborn um, doer that can see things through yeah. and can take all the information that's around me and and manifest it into something tangible. Isn't it beautiful? It's really interesting. Yeah, that you can really begin to see yourself and your loved ones around you and how Mm -hmm. those qualities are showing up it's fascinating really once you really get this like go to the supermarket and pick them out you know Uh you can like see (laughs) see who's there you know so you know like i said if you've got too much kapha what you need is vata the balancing you know if it's too wet you need to bring some dry things Mm. in if it's too stoic you need to bring some mobility in like the other tendency that I would say is that no matter what your basic constitution is, it's kind of kind of what you what you're going to be drawn to, um, which is not necessarily a good thing. Okay. Because what Ayurveda says is that uh, like will increase like, and opposite is going to balance. Mm. So what I often see is the kapha type personalities are going to gravitate towards like restorative yoga deep long meditation (laughs) which is not necessarily their medicine they probably could really use a nice moving vinyasa practice whereas the vata person is all about vinyasa but what they need is restorative yoga to balance and our pitta people are going to love hot yoga Uh which is not necessarily their medicine (laughs) right because it's too much heat it's yeah. too much fire for them. Go take a slow flow class. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There you go. Yeah, so you're beginning to see. I do, yeah. Yeah, and we're, you know, like in life, what we're looking for is that middle path, mm. that middle path, finding the balance so that there's not too much of any of these energies. And it's what I want people to hear as well is don't like rubber stamp yourself and say, I am a pitta. Right. But that you have a predominance of pitta hmm. in your constitution. Yeah. So take yourself out of the box. If you've done that already, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I know a little bit about Ayurveda. I am a pitta. Uh-huh. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a predominance of pitta in your constitution and this is how you're going to balance it. Yeah. Beautiful. So like that. Nice. Yeah. And so with, uh, well, first off, thank you for explaining the Yeah, doshas. you're welcome. <clears throat> Um, so part of the practice that you have is, um, you know, working with Ayurvedic practices to help find balance with people. Um, and, uh, you know, I've perused your website, um, as well as, you know, some of the Ayurvedic practices, uh, that have been practiced for a while, but what are some of the, the go-tos that you have that you, um, that you love? Cause there's a lot of oils that are involved with Ayurvedic mm-hmm. practices. Mm-hmm. Ghee, you mentioned earlier. Right. Um, what are some of the practices that you, um, lean into for yourself or would offer for mm-hmm. somebody to try to explore what some Ayurvedic practices might be? Right. So, that sort of leads again into that dual track of yoga and Ayurveda, okay. the sister sciences. Mm-hmm. Because in the yamas and the niyamas, I refer to these again and again, uh, we have the saucha practices. And these are the practices of purity, of cleansing and purifying the body, tending to our physical nature so that we have the vitality to, you know, slay the dragons. Mm. And uh, so 
as I said before, no matter your constitution, vata is always at play. And so we always need to be thinking about how can I tend to vata so that it is staying in a state of balance and not pulling me out of balance. Because if vata is out, it has the capacity to push kapha or to push pitta into out of balance states mm, okay. because of its nature. So one of the saucha practices is oiling the body on a daily basis okay. is what Ayurveda suggests. Wow. And based on your constitution, the, the teachings of Ayurveda have created different uh, herbal oils mm -hmm. to, uh, to help balance each of the constitutions. Okay. So I, um, when I'm working with somebody, uh, they can either purchase the oil from me the, for their particular dosha type, mm -hmm. or they can come in and receive what's called an abhyanga massage or a shiradhara or any number of other Ayurvedic body therapies to help balance. So abhyanga is a term, another term for it is called snehana. Okay. And snehana is oiling, you know, creating that unctuousness again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um and the other translation of snehana is love, which mm. is so wonderful. So you're showing If we think about, love. again, that kapha nature of cohesiveness and that the glue energy, I think of the glue energy as love. Mm. The, the thing that holds the universe together Definitely. is this love, is this dynamic, uh, energetic, magnetic pull between the polar opposite energies of the divine masculine and divine feminine you know, that creates this drawing in yeah. and union, uh, which is love. Yeah. yeah. And so snehana is that. love. Snehana. So when you apply oil to yourself, or if you come to me and receive an abhyanga, what you're receiving is not only the oil, is not only the herbs that are in the oil, but the love. Hmm. And don't we all need more we of that? We all need love. Good <laughs> Lord. Yeah. Most definitely. That's beautiful. Yeah. Abhyanga. Abhyanga. Very cool. What are the uh, what are the some of the kind of herbs that are infused in the oils to help you know help with the process? Yeah, so there are traditionally um, Ayurvedic herbs okay. um, that come out of India predominantly, um, and so they're going to be like a, for a vata. Um, the herbs are going to be. I'm, I don't want to go into the details of the names of them, but they're okay. going to be herbs that are warming. Mm, okay. Doesn't that make sense? Definitely. Yep. And uh, for pitta, there are going to be herbs in there that are cooling, mm -hmm. or the oil itself might be a cooling oil. Like for instance, whereas you would use sesame oil for vata because it's kind of warming, for a pitta person, you would use coconut oil, which is cooling. Cooling, yeah. And okay. you can feel that. You can test that out for yourself. You mm -hmm. can put a little sesame on one part of your arm, and then on the other arm, use a coconut, and you'll feel the difference. The qualities of the oils are right. that different from each other. And then for kapha, the oils are going to be a little lighter okay. and warm because, yeah. of course, kapha has that cold quality of the earth and the water um, and heaviness. So mm. we want a little bit lighter oil yeah. for kapha. Right on. So, and then the other body therapy that I talked about is something called shirodhara. So shiro refers to the head and dhara means a pouring of or a stream. Oh, yeah. And so it's a constant flow of warm herbalized oil that's specific for really tending to vata and uh, tending to the nature, the rajasic nature of the brain and the nervous system. Mm. So very soothing and calming to the nervous system. 
So uh, the stream of oil is poured right over the ajna, right over the forehead, and then just runs down over the crown of the head all across the hashara in the physical body. And it just has this amazing capacity to draw the brainwave state down into delta and theta brainwave states, much like you do in yoga nidra. Mm -hmm. You get to that really expansive state of consciousness where some deeper work can be done. Right. You know, I always ask a person going into Shiradhara to set a sankalpa, to set an intention. Like, what is it that you're really working on? What dragon are you wanting to slay in this moment? <clears throat> and bring your awareness to that and uh, stay open in your consciousness to, you know, inspiration that's coming from beyond your intellect wow. uh, to help you give, get the next tool in place, the next action that's going to help you with that yeah. slaying of the dragon. And, you know, we're living in a very stressful environment, irregardless mm-hmm. of, uh, of the pandemic, right. even before that, you know, we're <clears throat> facing ecological disasters we're facing uh, economic disasters social economic disasters Mm -hmm. i mean we're really in a rough place on the planet today and it's causing vata to go way way out of balance because we're all dealing with the oppressive nature of this intensity that Mm -hmm. we're dealing with here on the planet earth right now and in human society so that stress is leading to illness, right. you know? I mean, that's what a lot now the allopathic medicine is beginning to understand is that the root cause of disease is inflammation and where inflammation is coming is from is from stress. Right. Whether it be, you know, the stress of eating a poor American-style diet mm-hmm. or, you know, not tending to your spiritual nature, to driving too fast to you know pushing yourself up the corporate ladder working long hours wow you just described the first probably 30 years of my life on and on and on (laughs) right yeah on and on and on and that's tremendous pressure and so our nervous system is really being stressed Hmm. so shiradhara abhyanga snehana love is really the antidote to all of that and that's why you know i say that ayurveda is a medicine that is so needed for our modern day society to yeah. meet that stress, to meet that intensity that we're all living through right now and to build, to calm our nervous system and to build ojas, mm. you know, to build resiliency, to meet the challenge of, you know, all that we're in the midst of right of now. The life that we're in. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, you know, the more, the more intrinsic tools that we can have that help us feel the power that we actually do have as human beings, I think is, is, you know, is where we're going to, I don't know if win is the right word, but where we're going to find that love, yeah. you know, it's, you know, when we find the love within ourselves, the, the, the true nature of love that we're born with that has gotten shielded by all the material crap that we put on our, you know, bought, been given, you know, thought to, to need to have, when we can finally realize that we're born with that perfect amount of happiness and peel the shit away and, and see the light that's in there, mm-hmm. like that love that you feel and that confidence that you feel from that internal intrinsic love, like that is what I hope for humanity, you Me know, and too. I, and I glimpse it every once in a while, but yeah. I know it's there. And now that I know it's there, I know how to walk that path to get there. I'm still a path and still hard. You know, but things like Ayurveda, things like yoga, things, uh, you know, the things that have made sense to me, my spirituality, the the ritual practices that I have, 
help me to understand that if the path it, that I'm on the path, it, it, it's, I'm not looking for it anymore. It's still hard. It's still fraught with, with bumps and, and, you know, holes and all this stuff to fall into and get trapped by, but that's my path yeah. and, and I'm walking it. And I, and I, you know, the people that, that we choose to find, to put in, in within our path, yourself included, your daughter, you know, all these people that, that, that have come into our lives, they play roles. Mm-hmm. Like they're so important. They're mm-hmm. not just like happenstance coming into your life. There's a specific reason that human being has been put in front of you, whether you're to help them or they're to help you. Yeah. Right. And then when I, when I, when I realize that about my life and I can see those, not search for the meanings, but know that there's meaning. And it just, it intrinsically, it just makes sense. It's that gnosis we talked about earlier, yeah. you know, it just feels right. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And the more that we all wake up and find the value in these ancient practices and put them into play in our life, you know, like what I say in my bio is that as every individual wakes up, the world becomes a greater, better place. I love that. I, remember, I read that when you sent that over. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I really believe that to be true, you know, and that has an incredible ripple effect because as you wake up, your interactions with the rest of the intimate people in your life are going to change. They're going to change for the positive and you're going to affect them and they're going to ask you, well, what are you doing? You know, and then you can tell them, well, I, I get up and I meditate every morning and I do pranayama Mm -hmm. and I eat this certain way for my constitution and I take these herbs to help balance my imbalances, you know, and I go to Suzanne and I get an Abhyanga every now and then, you know, or whatever, (laughs) you know, just like on and on and on. I give myself love by putting oil on my skin every day, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and I'll be like, really? Oh, well, maybe I can do that too. I'm like, of course you can. Right. And then they'll tell two people and they'll tell two people and on and on it goes, Uh you know, and so we're waking up. Definitely. We're really waking up. Consciousness is waking up. Yes, I agree. You know, there was a guy (laughs) I was listening to not too long ago and he was talking about, you know, changing the world. And he says, okay, so changing the world, that's a big, that's a big, you know, a piece to bite off, right? So let's break it down. So the world, let's break it down to the nation, right? So we have our continents, we have our nations, right? So we start there, let's break it down even farther. So we go to the city, even farther from there. Let's go to the neighborhood, to the house, to the individual family, right? When you can change your personal being, that ripple effect, like you talked about, is going to affect your family, which is going to affect people outside of that, yeah. and which is going to start to affect the community, which affects the city, which affects the state, which affects the nation, and then blah, blah, blah. Now right. we have world change. Right. But it doesn't start with, let's change the world. How do you change you? That's right. Where do you start? That's right. right. Start with you. Start with the one that yeah. you know. Can you cultivate shanti within your own self? Can mm-hmm. you cultivate peace? That's where it begins. Yeah. That's where definitely. it begins. You know, and... Like we've been saying all along during our conversation, the slaying of the dragons is a constant thing, you know, and uh, you you knock one down and another one's going to be in its place. And so the more that we do that and the more that we can stay in that like light place in the midst of that, you know, battle. Mm-hmm then the more we're going to cultivate that peace. You know, again, one of the other yamas and niyamas is santosha Mm -hmm. and contentment. And, you know, that ties again into the kleshas that I spoke about earlier too, is that when we are dwelling in the ego identity, when we're in avidya, when we're lost in the universe, disconnected from the divine, then the ego is driving our actions. And we're in this state of raga and devesya. We're in this state of desire versus uh, pushing away of uh, resistance. Okay. 
And that causes all of this friction. You know, when we talk about yoga as a definition, is yogaha chitta vritti nirodaha. We're looking for that stillness. We're looking for that abiding, blissful stillness in consciousness, which mm. is the definition of yoga. But when we're in raga and devesya, when we're desiring this thing out there that's going to make me happy, as soon as I get that new thing, I'm going to be happy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But what that's saying is that what I have right now, I'm not happy. So You're I'm going to push that away because I'm not happy, mm. right? So we're in vritti. We're in constant state of fluctuation. Wow. And uh, so when we can really contemplate on santosha, when we can contemplate on contentment with what it is right now, say you're trying to balance in Virabhadrasana 3 and you're falling and you're falling and you're falling and you can't get your pelvis to be even, Mm -hmm. you know. The darn toes are facing the side. They're not facing the earth. Again, you know, can you be content with that? Or are you going to let your ego strive and drive to the point where maybe you're going to injure yourself? Right. You know, this is just one example. Mm -hmm. But can you find Santoja in the midst? And I I remember contemplating on Santoja when I was first studying the Yamas and Niyamas. And I was like, what's the difference between contentment and complacency? Ah, okay. You know, because complacency would, you wouldn't even try Virabhadrasana 3. Totally, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't even try it. You wouldn't even go to your yoga mat. Yeah. But com- contentment would be you're on the mat, you're falling, but you're there. You're you're in there trying. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to find that fine balance again, like the difference between, you know, work and pain mm. or, you know, any number of fine lines, that division between yoga and Hinduism. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, or contentment and complacency. Right. You know, there's action without desire of it being different than what it is. Mm. And then we can find peace. There you go. Seems easy. It's not. Not at all. <laughs> nope, not at all. Because <laughs> we're humans. It's really not. There's emotions attached to that. There's all kinds of stuff. But the but... beautiful thing is, is that more and more and more people are waking up to yeah. this, yeah. you know. I mean, it's just astounding to me. When I first started practicing yoga... I had I was living in Los Angeles. Okay. I had to drive an hour one way to find my yoga teacher. Wow. And that's in LA. In LA. Wow. Right now in any small town almost you can find a yoga teacher. Mhm. Pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. So just think about the numbers of people that are practicing now that are being introduced to these ancient teachings of the Vedas and yep. how it's influencing their life. And mm-hmm. so when it's hard we probably have a tribe around us that can bolster us up and look in our eyes and say, I see you, mm-hmm. you know, I got you. You know, when you're about to fall, baby, I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to remind you who you are. How strong you are. As a yeah. Human. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a tribe, you know, we do. and it's going to take that collective to really make the shifts that we need to make to, to, uh, to really come into more harmony and balance and flow with nature and mm. as, as opposed to like being in this, you know, domineering place, you know, right. like in the teachings of the Bible, you know, there's, it's said that human beings are supposed to have dominion over and it's set us apart from nature, right? which I think is a mistake. I, I agree. We I... are, we are a part of nature. And the moment when we really let ourselves feel to be one of the threads in the tapestry of nature 
then we recognize that each little action that we take is pulling on the rest of the web. Mm -hmm. And so are we pulling in a harsh and negative way where we're tearing apart the fibers or are we flowing with it? Are we keeping the integrity of that fabric? Yeah. So hmm. we're getting there. There we are. I feel like we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. You know, and, and, you know, I can speak for myself. Like I was a very um, unconscious human being for probably the first 30 years of my life. And, um, you know, been on a spiritual path for about 12 years now. Mm. And, um, you know, and I can't say that if I can do it, anybody can do it. But like, I know my path. I know the history that I had, the drug abuse, the alcohol abuse, the, the non-conscious living, the climbing corporate ladder, the explosion of relationships, not knowing myself as a human being. I, I saw my own path exploding in front of me and yeah. chose to finally take a left instead of a right, mm. you know? And so it's never too late. It's never an age issue. It's never a consciousness. You can do this path. You can walk your path at any point in time with consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's just understanding that you're not conscious at one point in time to find the consciousness that you need, you know? Yeah. Um, there's one thing that I'd love to end with if I, if, if you don't, if you don't mind, um, you mentioned a story in your um, in your questionnaire that I sent you about uh, native prophecy about a bird oh, about yeah. humanity and how oh, yeah. for a long time the the one wing has been exposed mm -hmm. and now there's do you mind uh, sure. sharing that story it just yeah. I would love to hear the full thing personally but the the snippet that you put in there it it really moved me mm. and so I'd love to love to end with that if you're okay sure cool yeah that sounds great it was actually inspired and I think I've heard this story years ago, but um, one of my favorite people that's out there teaching these days uh, is Dr. Zach Bush. Mm. And I listened to a talk um, that he was giving recently, and he mentioned this prophecy. And uh, he mentioned the um, Ashwar people that are from uh, South America down in Ecuador. Okay. And it caught my attention too, because I was like, oh, that's very, very cool. Uh, and then I looked into it a little bit more and found that there's uh, two peoples that actually have a very similar prophecy. One is these Ashwar people from Ecuador, mm -hmm. and the other are the Cherokee. Really? Very similar story. Yeah, they put it in slightly different terms, okay. but it's basically saying the same thing, is that if you look at humanity as a bird, mm -hmm. that somewhere back in like the 1400s it the bird was only flying with the masculine wing unfurled okay and this masculine wing has that quality of the masculine that is um, competitive and consumerist minded and wanting to build nations and uh extract resources and uh be in this hierarchical, you know, kind of mindset. And so, you know, what we have been seeing over the last many, many years is these rise of these great nations and eventually, like Rome, uh, you know, the power structure became out of balance and mm -hmm. those that were in that state of power and greed sort of self-destructed. Right. And there are many that would say that the United States is sort of the equivalent now of Rome and that we are at this pinnacle of such a division uh, of the wealthy versus the lower class 
the lower socioeconomic class. Right. That has kind of been being driven by this consumerist attitude, this extractive attitude that Dr. Bush talks about. Um, so at any way, the prophecy said that uh, in 2012, okay. very specific. The Mayan calendar mm-hmm. kind of idea, right? Okay. That the, the other wing has unfurled. The divine masculine wing, okay, uh, divine feminine wing. Sorry, of the bird has okay. now opened up, and so for the first time in all these hundreds of years, we have a bird that can now fly with a trajectory instead of a spiraling downward, which is what we have been seeing. Wow! So, I remember two, oh gosh, years ago, reading a book. The author's name is going to elude me right now, but it's a book called The Chalice and the Blade. I've read that book. Red, okay. red cover? Totally. Okay. Yeah, so I can't familiar. remember the author, but I know, yeah, I know that book. So she talked about in that book about finding the balance between the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And the divine masculine is that intellect. It's that, you know, the, the potential energy that um, is hooked into this you know, uh, spiraling out of control with this consumerism and building up and competitiveness and all of that. Whereas the, the feminine energy is more about collaboration and cohesion and uh, cooperation mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so we're looking to find, she was proposing that if we found a balance between those two, that we could create a society that is respectful of the opposite and be able to be co-creative in the process Mm. instead of destructive. Right. So, you know, this ties into what I have been, you know, kind of an, an avocation, I guess you would say, aside from all the healing arts work that I've been doing all these years, um, is work with the divine feminine in the form for this last 20 years, probably, maybe about 20 years of working in women's circles, doing sister moon lodge circles for many, many years, just to like create an environment where the divine feminine is really acknowledged and supported and that the women are being bolstered up because we, as the, you know, the other side of the race has been oppressed in our society. And so much so that I've seen incredible changes with the women that have been participating in these circles, you know, great transformations and really stepping into power, stepping into their own individualized power. And Mm. if relationships were not working out, if they were feeling oppressed in the relationship, they would end it, you know, or they would be like, I am so done with my job. I'm just going to quit and go on the road and figure out what the next thing is. I mean, things like that have gone on. And in this time, I really feel that aside from lifting the women up, Mm -hmm. we've done a pretty good job of that. But now I feel is the real time of inviting the brothers to really find their divine feminine within themselves. I agree. And, uh, you know, I really encourage the men out there to find their brother circles and figure out how to awaken their divine feminine, just as the women I feel like have awakened their, not only their divine feminine, but their divine masculine. Right. So that there is balance. Exactly. Again, like just what Ayurveda is saying, we want balance. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that we can fly the bird of humanity 
in a trajectory instead of a spiraling out of control mm. kind of way. Yeah. And it was interesting as I looked at these two prophecies, um, the one in Ecuador, they talked about the eagle and the condor. Okay. And that the eagle is more about the intellect and the condor is about the heart. Okay. Whereas the Cherokee one is about um, just the, the bird, you know, with the masculine wing flying around in circles and that the, the feminine wing is opening up so that the bird can fly yeah. in a direct way now. Mm. But it's the same principles, you mm -hmm. know, the same principles of that intellect versus the heart and that we need both. We yeah. need that integration. And um, now serendipitous that it's a uh, 2012 prophecy. You know, the, yeah. I think a lot of people were, you know, let down or, you know, expected something to happen that didn't come to fruition or whatever it is. But I think it might have been a more subtle. It set things that. in motion. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and you know, with uh, the 2012 prophecy with the Mayans, it was supposed to be the end of the world and the end of their calendar and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, just overlaying this story on top of that, it's the end of that variation of humanity is the end of the downward spiral. Right. Now we have both wings open. Now we have directionality. Now right. we have purpose. We have goals now that we can reach. We don't just spiral. Mm -hmm. So that is the end of a, of a humanity. It that is. is the end of an era. And we are entering this new era. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's how we frame it, how we look at it. And in the Vedic teachings too, you know, they talk about the, the yugas. Yugas, yeah. And that we are entering, we're, you know, at that ending time of the Kali Yuga and the beginning of Sat Yuga, right. you know, and this is what I really feel. Many of us are feeling this major transition yeah. where we are recognizing ourselves as creator in the universe yeah. and the capacity to harness that creative Shakti power and direct it, you know, mm. from the intellect and the heart. So that we are masters of manifestation. Right. And collectively, like we've been saying, you know, the more that more people are waking up to that reality and the more that we can be in our tribe, the more that we can feel bolstered up in our vision and work collectively, the more that we are going to be able to fly this bird in a nice positive trajectory mm -hmm. <laughs> towards health, harmony, union, you know, in honor, being the thread in the tapestry of nature as opposed to dominion over. Mm. And uh, we need that collective creativity. What Dr. Bush says, we are, you know, seven point whatever billion people on this planet on purpose right. to solve the problems that we've developed by a bird that's only been flying around with its masculine wing for all these years. We need that collective creativity, you know, to find the solutions. Yeah. To find the solutions. And the more we wake up to ourselves as creator, the more we're going to be able to access that tremendous power. Mm. Love that. And I keep hearing it. I keep hearing it from people. They're like, oh, I was so surprised. I had this one little thought and the next thing that happened, it manifested like magic. Uh -huh. I'm like, yep. 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 The people are, are awakening to their gifts right now yeah. on a very, very grand scale. And the more that you recognize that creative power... The more you get it affirmed, the more you believe it, the stronger it gets. Definitely. It's that intuitive muscle that's been atrophied for so long. Yeah. You know, as soon as we start doing the reps and we feel the, the, the engagement and we feel the, we feel the trust again, 
it's like, oh man, I, there it is. I'm that healer again. Yeah. I'm the person that has the answers. It's all within me. Stop looking outside of you. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Ah, love it. It's a tremendous responsibility too, I will say. It you really know what is. they say, be careful what you ask for. Right. And so there again, you know, the yogic practice, the steady sadhana is going to bring us into alignment with our heart, bring us into alignment with anahata, with the love and the compassion, the kindness at the forefront of whatever our deeds, our thoughts, deeds, and actions are. So that when we say to the universe, this is what I want, this is what I want to do, we've taken into account, is it in the highest good for all? Right. Or is it just something that's going to satisfy my egoic desire that's, you know, again, in that raga phase that's desiring, oh, I'll be happy when I get this. Right. Or is it like, oh, yeah, I want this thing to happen because I know it's going to support me and my community and the world. Yes. You see it from all the aspects of it. Yeah. Definitely. Not just from how it's going to benefit yeah. you. So these teachings, you know, it's no wonder they've been around 5,000 years. Yep, definitely. And it's they make true. sense once you start learning them because yeah. you've known them before. Yeah, they have a resonance again. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, so. I think I uh, uh, want to wrap up today, but I would love to have you back to talk about the yugas. Sure. That is something that is very, very interesting to me. And, uh, and I think that a lot more people are starting to become familiar with that vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I would love to, I'd love to pick your brain about that. Sure. The yugas yeah, the synchronicity. There's a lot that, that kind of gets wrapped up in that, that concept. Um, and, uh, and I, yeah, I've, I found, I find few people that have uh, working knowledge to talk about mm. with. So love to well, I've it. scratched the surface. I'll say that. Perfect. That's all I need. <laughs> scratch the surface. We'll go from there. <laughs> yeah. We can scratch a little deeper. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for, uh, explaining Ayurveda, how it works with you and, and within our lives. Um, I'll leave uh, notes for everybody that can, that can reach out to you, but, um, Ayurvedic practices are something that you do yes. and, um, the, uh, the, the, um, uh, therapies that you talked about are things that you offer right now. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your website that people can uh, find you at? It's indigolotusyoga.com. Perfect. Okay. And there's a, and I've been on that website, um, uh, just religiously since we started talking ah. and, uh, I'm probably going to reach out to you to book some, uh, some appointments because okay. I love Monica and I have been looking for an Ayurvedic practitioner to do, um, a lot of the oil therapy that you offer Great. um so like there you go right there we were thinking about going to california I'm like ah, go to Monroe Suzanne, come on man that's what's up <laughs> uh, but so you know we'll leave uh links for uh, how to get in, in touch with suzanne but um but thank you again thank you so much for being here really it's been appreciate a real pleasure really thank you so much for inviting me it's been great you're welcome we'll have you back soon love all right namaste, namaste. thank you so much for spending time with suzanne and i uh, we'll leave some uh, information in the show notes so you can get in touch with myself and Suzanne, uh, maybe learn a little bit more about Ayurveda medicine and what Suzanne has to offer. Um, as always, if you like the show, please subscribe to it. And if you leave some comments, that'll help us give uh, directionality to content for the show. And uh, as always, if you need anything, just reach out. Appreciate all that you do. Obeisance and love to you. We'll see you next time.